0: Hello and thank you so much for listening to the Salesforce Posse podcast. Today I'm having a conversation with the amazing Keir Bowden, who is CTO of BrightGen, that is a Salesforce SI or consulting partner in the UK. He's also known as Bob Buzzard on social media. Kier has been in the Salesforce ecosystem for many years, and with myself was one of the first people on the CTA Beta exam when the CTA certification first came out. Although he passed it, and I've delayed it ever since. But uh, what I, I've been ne- wanting to get Kier on the podcast for a long time, and our path never quite met to do it. So I'm super excited to have him on today. I'm one of the things I love about Kia is his deep technical knowledge of the Salesforce platform. But that's combined with this kind of pragmatic, (laughs) no-nonsense approach to the art of architecting. And also, he's one of those pioneers in the Salesforce ecosystem for bringing the importance of soft skills when communicating with internal or external stakeholders. Uh, The importance of clarity and also just simplifying complexity. My name is Francis Pinder and you're listening to the Salesforce Posse podcast and I speak to Salesforce industry influencers so that we can gain a better understanding of how to excel in a career path from a Salesforce admin or developer to an architect. So if you're interested in um, understanding how to handle difficult conversations or managing the growing tentacles of a Salesforce project, presentation tips, or even techniques and advice on the key things you need to learn, if you want to kind of move down that Salesforce architect track, then I think you're gonna get an awful lot of value out of this conversation with Kia. So without further ado, let's go. Hi, Kier, and welcome to the Salesforce Posse podcast. Hi, Francis. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, at last. Um, (laughs) After, yeah, Uh, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a little while because you are, you know, the master of everything architecture, (laughs) in my opinion, anyway.
1: it's very kind of you to say, um, yes, it's been a busy year for me, but I'm starting to get a little bit more time to do this kind of thing. So yeah, no, so Good thank you here.
0: so much for being on the podcast. And um, so just to kind of kick off to those people that do not know who the Mr. Big Bob Buzzard is, <laughs> can you give a little bit of a potted who you are?
1: Yes, certainly. Um, so I've been in the IT industry for, well, thinking about it, 35 years now. Um, 14 years in the Salesforce ecosystem. I've been an MVP, Salesforce MVP since 2010 and a CTA since 2011. I was originally on the um, the beta of the uh, technical architect program. Yeah, um, so was I. Right, <laughs> up until, right up until the review board. Um, yeah, made it all the way through there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been working in Salesforce for about 14 years I'm the CTO of BrightGen a credera company uh, we were acquired around a year ago actually so mm. that's what my year has been has basically been moving us over to the uh, larger organization from being a small smaller scrappier startup
0: Yeah cool brilliant Um so we so you also have been kind of really active kind of in the community as well uh, as well as kind of supporting people in that kind of architecture journey, but the kind of like softer skills of, of Salesforce architecture as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I did a lot in the community around on the developer forums, basically providing mm. people with help with their code. Um, but also one of the things, and it's really sort of tangential to the architect side of things. Um, there was just a few of us that noticed that it was the kind of same old faces that were speaking at every event. Mm. So we resolved to do something about that. And myself and Jody Wagner started Speaker Academy. Mm. So the idea of that was to get um, underrepresented groups on um, uh, with some training for public speaking, get them used to presenting on Salesforce topics, so they could um, score talks at um, Salesforce events like the World Tour or Dreamforce, and we've yeah, been yes, very absolutely. successful.
0: Yeah, and also, and it's such a kind of like a something like life skill, absolutely, you know, of you know really kind of being able to kind of create a story and, and, and present to people, um, absolutely. But um, so, kind of, what do you see as the kind of the softer skills? So, if I was an admin or developer, and I am a bit nervous on presenting, and what tips would you give?
1: Um, so, what tips I give is not have a big fluffy throw hanging over you that's going to fall on top of you while you're trying <laughs> to talk to someone. Um, <coughs> um, an awful lot of it, um, I always say with with um, these kind of things, um, no man is best, no man has ever bested me at homework, and that's what an awful lot of this comes down to is preparation. <laughs> There are some things you can control on the softer side of things, and there are some things you can't control because there's n- normally a lot of interaction with human beings. You don't know how they're mm-hmm. going to react. But you can have prepared your side so that whatever happens, you've put as much time and effort into making sure you can handle that. Yeah, so softer skills. So um, if you think about it, the hard, the, the, the it's not like hard versus soft as in degree mm. of difficulty or anything like that. It's more about um qu- qu- quantitative and qualitative, I always think. So things like you can learn the quote mark hard skills like administration, development, you know how to configure Salesforce, you know how to do things. Um, the softer skills are being able to talk to people and understand what they're actually trying to get out of Salesforce um, and not necessarily taking what they're telling you as the gospel truth, like digging a bit more of like, why do you want that, why do you want to mm. do that, is there a better way of doing it? Because often people will come to you, they've seen something and they'll say, oh, we have to have this. And it's like, okay, great, I can see why you might need that. But actually, what, what are you trying to achieve? because there may be a better way of doing this. Let's not just jump into the first thing that you've seen, maybe at a salesforce event or something like that. Mm. So it's typically the softer skills are around talking to people, around understanding, not being afraid to ask difficult questions, not being afraid to tell people that things are a bad idea, potentially. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all around handling people rather than handling computers. We're all good at handling computers, but handling people is a bit different.
0: Uh, so how, how does that, we, we're only handling people and they're asking questions like you don't know. <laughs> how do you kind of how do you go around that? You know. So this is something that I went back and forward on after my review board, actually, because one of the oh, questions really? I
1: was asked, I said, "I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that," because I didn't mm. know, and I thought I can guess, and I might get it right. If I get it wrong, though, I've given some really bad advice, and I'm going to mm. be heavily marked down for that. Um, So what I actually said was, I don't know um, if we were in a, uh, if we had follow up meetings in a real customer scenario, I'd say I'll find that out and I'll come back to you. Mm. Um, There's nothing wrong with not knowing everything. and There's nothing wrong with saying I'll come back to you. However, you do have to know most of it, I would say. You can't be saying that to every question because you're in there as a subject matter expert. So you need to have a certain level of knowledge. And often what, what you find with architects is they'll have a very broad knowledge. Mm. They'll have certain areas, they'll have deeper knowledge and other areas they won't. So you can start off the conversation, you can move it to a certain point, And if it gets to where it's digging down past your capabilities, there's nothing wrong then with saying, well, I'm sorry, you know, we've kind of reached the limit. I'll find out. Or maybe I'll loop in one of our experts who will come and talk to you about this in a bit more detail. So yeah, don't be afraid to not know everything and, mm. and never guess or make something up. Yeah, Because absolutely. you could make a really terrible decision. That could cause all manner of problems going forward.
0: And especially if the customer's kind of like, or the company's kind of like, uh, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when answering, yeah. So when kind of coming up with questions you don't know, I think also it's like that depth that you're talking about. You know, the, the platforms is so vast. Nobody can know all of it, as I kind of always say. And so, you know, not knowing it is kind of almost part of that. There's going to be stuff you're not going to know. And everybody, there's something that they don't know, but actually how you answer that and how you kind of reply to that in a managed way without kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was used to, the um, the, the Thunder was something that very occasionally used to come up, if you remember the Mm. Internet of Things uh, solution for Salesforce. So at that time, I couldn't really have told you anything about exactly how Thunder works over the hood. I knew it was built on Heroku infrastructure, Mm. but I knew what Thunder was. And I knew what the concept was. It was Internet of Things. It was large volume of data. You got telemetry type of information coming in there. So I could speak to that. But then if they did have a telemetry expert in the room, Mm. I'd then have to say, well, you know, we've kind of gone to the edge (laughs) of my understanding now. What I'll have to do is I'll have to loop in our Internet of Things expert who will be able to talk to you about this in greater detail. Because um, a lot of the time, these meetings that you're gonna be in, these conversations that you're gonna be in are intended to be quite high level. There's normally a group Mm. of stakeholders, it's intended to go across a lot in a short period of time. But you will get people who are interested in things and will start digging in. So again, there's nothing wrong with just pulling it back and saying, okay, yeah, we can schedule a follow up for that. We can dig into that more. This isn't really quite what we're here to do. If you've scheduled- So as an
0: architect in the room, what is your kind of objective? What is your role in the room?
1: Um, so I think your role in the room as an architect is, A, to make sure that you're getting all the information that you need as part of that meeting. So mm-hmm. if you've got an hours meeting and after 15 minutes, you've just kind of been completely derailed and you've dug <laughs> into custom permissions and permission sets and how you deploy those, um, you probably want to try and get the meeting back on track and try mm-hmm. and remind everyone why you're here, what you're trying to achieve. Um, it's also to provide... Um, uh, it, it depends on who else is in there as well. Um, but you'll be looking looking for... Um, uh, to understand what people are trying to do, not necessarily what they're asking you to build, but what they're actually trying to achieve with this. What are they actually trying to, you know, if they start talking about we need you know, permissions and profiles, like what are you actually trying to achieve in mm. terms of securing the system for your users? What's the important you know? Bring it away slightly from technology and let's just talk about concepts. What are you trying to achieve as a business? Mm. Can we align with it's your like business goals? Salesforce
0: out of the equation almost and kind of going, well, what's your the whole point of what you're trying to do.
1: Absolutely. What you want to gather is is the requirements as to what they're trying to do. And then, um, depending on the scope of the meeting, that might be then time to start mapping that into, well, okay, so mm. you've, you've spoken about being able to secure it for particular users and being able to have very granular permissions. We have that with Salesforce. Yeah. We have profiles. We have permissions set. So identify what they want first and then type back. It's very easy to start solutioning straight away. Oh, that's great. I know we can do that mm. in Service Cloud. Let me draw that. But that's not necessarily the right thing because you haven't necessarily heard enough about what they're
0: trying to do. And I kind of find, you know, sometimes you get these problems that they go, oh, I've got these problems and this is, you know, how we want to, you know, solve it. But then when you start digging, there's actually a root core problem that kind of manifests itself, which isn't really related to security. It's, it's something else. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, And actually you can create a simplified version of what they're after, uh, which makes everything manageable and everything by solving that root problem. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Or
1: you find they're trying yeah. to give somebody access to some data that sits down um, you know, through several related objects in a data model. They're opening up this huge graph of objects so they can have access to a small piece of data mm. that you can maybe surface in another way for them. It doesn't mm. have to you know, be drilling into all those things. We see that a, a fair bit. dashboard with a
0: running user. Oh, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Cool. So uh, when we kind of go, co- actually kind of nicely kind of moves into kind of simplicity, how do you kind of design for simplicity?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, you always want to keep it as simple as possible. And one of the things I always like to start these meetings out with is, is to say, let's um, focus all the time on how hard can we push your users? How much can we make them step through screens rather than giving them one heavily systemized, very developed screen that's going to be hard to change going forward? Oh, uh, right, um, yeah. Let's That's start good, off with the the simplest approach we can possibly get away with. Let's 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 get something live, get something live quickly, get some return on investment because you're paying mm. for the licenses as soon as you sign the deal with Salesforce. If you then go and spend a year developing and boiling <laughs> the ocean and covering every requirement, it's quite a lot of expenditure, um, and your users won't see anything. So pick some low hanging fruits, some key use yeah. cases, the ones that are going to give you the best response from the users for the amount of effort you've got to put in, and get some of those live, get people using it, um, and then you can. Be proceeding with the additional work but also you can be involving the users and getting some feedback on how they might need things to change mm. um yeah and, and it's always keep it as, as simple as possible from the um, perspective of customization configuration extension always yeah. try and get to the point where they can work you know maybe it's not the slickest um uh system in the world but they can work with it and then figure out what is actually causing problems and need systemizing Rather than systemizing it to death at the beginning, and then every change after that is like, well, that's going to be five days. Yeah, this is going to cost you 20 dollars. I find that with
0: uh, integrations where it's like, oh, we've got to integrate these two systems together. But actually, when you kind of dig into it, if the user could just have a kind of a deep linking button in Salesforce that deep links into the record in that other system, they're like happy as Larry. That solves so many problems from the manual searching in that other system, and actually, that can you know very simply kind of. As long as you've got that reference within Salesforce, can quite, you know, it's quite a simple thing to do. Absolutely, uh, and then you can mature it over time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> over time, you can you, if, the, if the if the appetite for the investment is there. Mm. Um, it's also often um, worth trying to keep those kind of integrations as simple as possible because a lot of the time, when there is a Salesforce implementation going on, that's part of a wider. Um, transformational project mm. going on within the business. So what you don't want to do is 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 like spend eight months integrating with something, and then someone <laughs> says, "Oh yeah, that's going away next year. That was the next one on the roadmap <laughs> to be replaced." So you have got to do it all again. Um, so yeah, it's and I guess that segues slightly into always be thinking ahead. Like where is this yeah. going? Um, don't paint yourself into a corner. Don't make decisions that make things resistant to change. You want to make it everything as simple to change as is humanly possible, because. Um, one thing, I think Stephen Herod might have said it on a podcast I was listening to, all architecture ends up wrong. All of your decisions yeah. turn out to you're, be wrong you're over coming time. Up with,
0: you're coming up with the least worst solution every time. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. You've, you've, you're basically trying to do something that works as well as it can for now. And when it all changes underneath you, which it inevitably will, you know, business mm. doesn't stand still, um, you can then adapt the system in order to handle that. You don't have to then, oh, I've got to throw all that away and then build another very complicated system from scratch.
0: So, you know, when these changes happen, I'm guessing you know, there can be friction and hostile conversations almost <laughs> that can be had. Um, so how do you kind of go about handling those kind of difficult conversations? I so say? it's
1: interesting, difficult conversations, hostile conversations. I always hark back to um, when I first started working with Salesforce, which was back in sort of 2008, 2009. Mm. Um, and at that time, Salesforce was just coming out of the shadow IT kind of reputation that it had. Um, and basically what happened was, was sales and Marketing's teams bought Salesforce because IT said no to everything they wanted to do on their current system. So you just ended up with it. It was known as shadow IT because it was basically in the shadows. No one had control of it. Um, it all ran in the cloud. You just needed an internet connection, which everyone had.
0: And a credit card. <laughs> yeah.
1: Indeed. So Salesforce's yeah. reputation there within the <laughs> IT side of things wasn't necessarily great. There was a lot of fear. It was considered to be out of control. It wasn't compliant. Who knows what's going on? simply because the the IT guys didn't know it was there. Mm. Um, so a lot of the, the um, pitches I used to go on back in those days, you would have a very hostile IT crowd normally in there with you who didn't want any part of this. They wanted to build it all from scratch on their old systems. They wanted to I remember you know, it well. <laughs> spend nine months coding. Um, so, in, and, and I always think that was, that was the greatest preparation I ever had for the review board because oh, you really? were constantly being battered by questions yeah. from people who wanted the answer that can't be done. So they were always trying to think of more and more complicated things, trying to change the scenario under you. What if we do this? What if we do that? Um, so that, that kind of thing, that was just such good practice. Not mm. that the review board are hostile, but just being battered and feeling uncomfortable out of my comfort zone. Mm. In terms of handling it, what I think you've got to always think about is what's in it for the people who are hostile. So with IT... Um, I always used to make the point. I'm so pleased to see that IT have a representation in this meeting because we need you for governance. We mm. need you for compliance. We need to make sure we've got appropriate systems around this. We need to make sure we've got change control. We need to make sure you're the gatekeepers of the public of the uh, customer si- of the sorry the production system. So it's not like we're you know just make it clear. We're not trying to sideline you. We're not trying to bypass you. We see you as being absolutely key it's just that you're kind of not doing the things you might historically have done but you still need to be the owners of these system and you still need to be responsible for it
0: yeah it's a still a uh, system in it it still has all the it things that you need <laughs> controls and governance it's just in a different I exactly
1: <laughs> exactly and i think whenever you get whenever you get a hostile audience it's always um there's a, there's a great book called, um, I think it's The Art of Difficult Conversations, or it might even just be called Difficult Conversations, mm. and the whole premise of that is it's all about putting yourself in the other person's shoes and thinking, mm. not just reacting to it and going up against them and arguing with them and how evil they are, and they're being unpleasant to me. It's about putting yourself in their shoes and thinking, why are they hostile? What are they upset about? And Once you understand that, that's when you can start to address those concerns yeah. and address those feelings. So, um. You know I've had I've had many uncomfortable conversations in my career. I've never had anywhere I've come out and I thought well that went terribly. We just spent the whole time arguing and we never, you know, yeah. you don't always bring them in because people there may be agendas there, there may be politics going on that you're not privy to. You don't always get them all the way around. But I always yeah. feel every time I've always felt like I've come out making progress, you know, we've started mm-hmm. to move them towards our way of thinking even if they're not completely convinced.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's that kind of thing, as you're kind of ma- trying to mature them on, moving them down that track, as long as you're moving them down and they're going in the right direction. <laughs> Absolutely. Then, you know, you, the, half the battle is is there. So um, <clears throat> so when you're kind of like having these meetings, you know, like you've talked about how you can go off topic and go oh, into yes. the deep kind of weeds, I suppose. How do you actually, because like, I, I find it difficult as well, it's like you, you've gone into the weeds, but then how do you actually kind of pull it out and kind of go, Actually stop. Well, you know, we're missing the point here, or you know. Yeah.
1: And I know what you mean. It's really difficult because I love solutioning as much as the yeah. next person.
0: And I like you know,
1: I love drawing it up and saying, Let me tell you about how we can have lightning web components in here interacting with flow. We could have some great triggers, we can we can just produce a delightful solution here. Um it is just it's and a lot of it is reminding myself of what we're here to do, always thinking back we're not supposed to go in this. Sometimes you have to go into a little bit of detail because there is concern that is this maybe possible or not you know, are we, are they getting some smoke and mirrors? Are we mm. saying, yes, we can easily do that, but, but how? So then you might have to dig into a little bit of detail to explain the concepts of maybe something like a flow, something like lightning web component a flow hooked into apex. And a lot of that can be establishing confidence that, you know what you're talking about. You're not just mm. saying, yes, yeah, fine. It's fine. You can do it out of the box. No problem. Um, but as soon as I think, as soon as you start getting, um, you know, changes and extra requirements being thrown in at that point in time, again, depending on the nature of the meeting, if it's meant to be a high-level kickoff, you know, kind of workshop just to introduce stakeholders, go through this, that, and the other, or if it's you know straightforward pre-sales, you got an hour with um, a group of stakeholders, always, you know, just 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 keep saying basically. So I, I you know, prefer not to go into too much. Do we can schedule a follow-up? No problem with that. If you want to go mm. into any more detail, get the technical audience in. there, get the right people. Um, it's often worth saying as well. I'm conscious that this isn't going to be useful to everybody here, and we've got a lot of people with you know whose time is valuable. So to be respectful of that, I'd like to get mm-hmm. back on track and and complete what we're trying to achieve here.
0: So how do you? Because <laughs> I always find like sometimes you're in a meeting and you've got kind of quite a diverse group of people, yeah, and you're trying you're almost like you're communicating at different levels Absolutely. within the room. So how do you just handle that? How do you kind of um
1: yes yeah, so i i'm very familiar with that i went to a kickoff meeting for one project where we were expecting we thought there were going to be a few of them we were expecting mm. maybe 15 15 or 20 and we actually had i think it was 57 at the final count with quite Dimey. a number in the room we had we had an evp or an svp dialed in from new york um so there were all manner of people um that we had to you know try and impress so that can be that can be a little bit intimidating to begin mm. with um you also you have to accept that not everybody who's there is there with a purpose. So some people will just have come along because this is new and interesting mm. um, and nobody has told them that it's not necessarily great use of their time. So not necessarily everybody's going to want to talk in any great detail. I would always say start at the top um, mm. and allow yourself to be pulled a bit deeper through questions, and, but then be ready to pull yourself straight out again. Um, it is a key skill for an architect is being able to communicate at different levels, not necessarily in the same meeting, but on any project, you're likely to be talking to you know, developers about best practice, why an approach they maybe want to go with isn't going to be as future-proof as they think it might be. Mm. You can see the problems further down the road, which maybe they're not thinking of. And then you know, later on in the afternoon, you could be talking to the C-suite about some of the um, KPIs they're trying to get out from the reporting. Um, and again, it's um, trying to explain complex technical concepts to the C-suite um is always a, is always a, mm-hmm. a key skill and i think a lot of it again as we said right at the beginning is taking salesforce out of it don't start talking about salesforce don't start talking about technical concepts just start talking about the basic concepts that they're interested in so what are we talking about here we're talking about security we want to limit what people see right who should see what so what we think about now at the very high level should people be able to see deals should people mm-hmm. be able to see your customers keep it in terminology that they know and they understand um Definitely don't solutionize at that point in time because as soon as you start solutionizing, you'll lose
0: them um, yeah. uh, because it will they're be into too They're only interested detail. in their win rate or their, you know?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and just, again, it's it's trying to find out, understand what they're trying to achieve and then explain the concepts to them that Salesforce can do that without without diving into the underlying detail. Salesforce has, rather than saying, yeah, we can do Lightning Web Components, we've got Visual Force pages, if you can't do it in that, it's quite rare to need mm-hmm. them now, but occasionally they come up, say... We have custom user interface capability we can basically build you we can configure the solution and if we need to go down to the coding level and build an entire custom ui we can do that mm. they shouldn't have to care what technology is under the hood that's for somebody else to worry about no, it's, it's what they'll care about is when you say and if we customize it that'll take us you know a couple of days and that'll be quite straightforward. if we're building one from scratch we're building an entirely custom ui it's going to be quite expensive and it's going to put a couple of months on the project so mm. those are the kind of that's the kind of information these people want to hear about. Yeah,
0: and also yeah, and kind of the 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 work you're doing is linking back to those strategic goals or values that the values you know that they're trying to get to and the KPIs and you're not kind of going off <laughs> on one a completely different you know tangent. I think
1: absolutely, you'll normally be trying to explain something in order to show how it aligns with the key goals of the company at that point in yeah. time, the organization. They'll you'll be aligning with them. Um, and there may be some larger enterprise architecture decisions going on that occasionally have to align with that. But mm. yeah, you'll always be, they, they will be coming to you from that point of view. And you need to make sure you tie it back to how that helps them achieve
0: their goals. Mm. So if if I was an admin or a developer, and I wanted to kind of, and my goal is to kind of become an architect, what do you think about the key most important things that you need to be an architect, and where should you start out learning? I suppose.
1: Um, so, I think you need to, you, you definitely need to be comfortable um, in kind of workshop type of environments. So, you mm. definitely be trying to get involved in those. Not to lead those from the word go, and you're not going to be able to make that that jump straight away, but try and get along. We do this a lot with our graduates. We, we just give them ride-alongs to workshops. Mm. So the idea is, you know, you're sitting quietly, you're not saying anything. Feel free to make notes, but we're not expecting you to contribute. We just get an understanding of how we interact with customers, what kind of conversations come on. Then make sure you get someone to debrief you afterwards so you can actually, you know, if there's anything you weren't sure about, anything you're unclear, anything you thought could have gone better or worse, um, talk to them about that and find out if there was maybe a reason for that. So understand kind of the flow and why the why that meeting happened the way it did. Um, mm. And then I think also I would say I, I still think, you know, get, if you can get involved in pre-sales, that's absolute gold. Mm. Um, get in front of customers, get asked difficult questions. Getting in front of customers who don't really know at this point in time what they want. They just yeah. know they've got some challenges. <laughs> they know Salesforce might be able to solve it. And they're just going to try and articulate those things to you. Mm-hmm. And you've got to try and come back and, and, and convince them that Salesforce is the right thing. Um, and that, that doesn't have to be like kind of, you know, going out and spending time um, one-to-one with customers. You can get yourself on a stand at a show, something like that, as I did earlier this week, and talk to people about how Salesforce might be able to help them achieve their goals there. Um, that's, that's really good stuff. Um, the other thing is, I would say... To get yourself more comfortable with public speaking, it's not just public speaking, speaking to groups of people, even if it's internal, Mm. which may not be everybody's cup of tea. Um, If you're an admin or developer, you're likely to be an expert in certain areas of Salesforce. And there's almost certainly going to be people either in your business or in the community who aren't experts in those areas of Salesforce. So talk to them about it. Set yourself up a lunch and learn or do a presentation at your local maybe developer group or architect group. Um, But volunteer to speak at those kind of things um those those are always going to have a friendly audience um people aren't you know no one you don't really get unfriendly audiences um Mm. in the world of public speaking but you might get as we've said you might get some hostility where if you're presenting to people who don't really want the solution that um they're being that's being forced on them um but get yourself a friendly audience who will listen be interested ask you questions um, that's that's just like a really good way um, to get yourself out of your comfort zone you can start small just with your colleagues once you're comfortable with your colleagues inviting some people from the organization you don't know too well that always kind of seems to give people a bit of a wobble <laughs> and then gradually make up your way to doing it in person in public at something like a dev group in front of maybe 40 or 50 people yeah.
0: and even if it's like really super small it's like you know even just jumping on a zoom recording a, a session on how to use the kanban in Salesforce or something kind of like very, that you're really super comfortable with. It could be just five minutes. Absolutely. Record it and put it out there. Um and I know like uh I started like many years ago um Francis's five minute feature. Oh, which I remember other people, those well. Yeah. <laughs> other people like started doing it themselves. And it was kind of a nice, easy way to kind of like get in front of a crowd and just say about a feature in in the in the platform in 5 minutes if it was a complete disaster it doesn't matter it's 5 minutes <laughs> nobody cares but also it's such a welcoming you know supportive Absolutely. Environment. and the, it's and a there's great so,
1: way to there's so many features on there you know as we oh, said yeah. before Salesforce is so enormous you can <laughs> no one is going to have been able to do everything so there'll be things where just no one's ever actually looked at the settings and figured out that you can go into kanban <laughs> yeah. view. you know we've just been stuck on this other one thinking wouldn't kanban be a nice thing someone is going to pick that up and like it yeah so yeah yeah People should never be, af- never be afraid to share their knowledge. They should never think that knowledge has already, already been shared because nobody knows everything. No, exactly.
0: 100%. Well, thank you so much. I think, yeah, it's been really great. Is there anything else you want to talk about while we're here? Um, anything else on
1: the softer side of things? Yeah. Um, well, I think probably the other thing that, that's probably useful to talk about, and this, this might be more from my consultancy background, but as an architect... There's really a couple of things things that I always have to remember on a project. The first one is that it's not just about dealing with the customer. There's also going to be a project team there who are going to need Mm -hmm. your support. Um, And that will initially start off with – because while you'll be coming up with the high-level solution, you shouldn't be coming up with a low-level solution and forcing everyone else because nobody grows – Mm. Um, when you're doing that. So the idea is you should be setting the direction, setting the boundaries, setting the best practice, letting other people come up with the designs. Then you're reviewing the designs. And basically what you're doing is you're looking for problems. Your job Mm. is just to say, oh, you know, will this work? Will this work? If I put a million records in, will this work? And that's, you know, people used to love me reviewing their stuff because it was all all I ever heard was negative stuff. And I kept saying, (laughs) saying, I'm sorry, but this this is my job. I'm looking for problems. I'm not looking, you know, the stuff that's great is great and I'm not going to touch on that, but this is what I have to do. So you have to be prepared. You know, you're interacting with customer teams, you're interacting with the steering committee, but you're also interacting with your own people. You've got a team of developers, perhaps team of admins. Um, they'll need that high level support, but they also, from time to time, may need low level support, and they may need you to have some difficult conversations on their behalf because they're not comfortable having those. So you've kinda gotta, you kind of got to you got to go in two yeah, different it's a directions. Balance.
0: Yeah, um, and also, yeah, you don't want to be doing <laughs> the low level all the time because then they're not learning. Exactly, you can't scale. Yep. And you're going to be stuck at that kind of level for a long time. You know?
1: And and you eventually burn out. Yeah. Um, the other thing, again, this is very much a consultancy point of view, I think. The other thing I always used to find was that I would go, you know, okay, we booked a day. We're going to go and do the mm. kickoff. And we're going to go and talk to some people. And we're going to run these couple of workshops. And then what would happen, li- it literally happened from day one. Someone would just come in. Once the workshop seems to be running quite well and we weren't doing this, would just go, oh. Just, can we just go and talk to our QA team because they're interested to see how they can layer in with your QA team and how that's going to work? Mm. They've not really used Salesforce before, they need to understand that. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and the training, um, the training manager is here today, so they'd like to understand how the training is going to work. Will it be train the trainer? Will you train people directly? Yeah. Where will the content come from? Um, so you go there with you know thinking thinking about the system. I've got to build a system. We've got to come out with that. But actually, there's all these other tendrils that, that go off mm. into the organization. Um, and as the architect has the focal point, everybody comes to you. So you end up kind of with a, a lot more responsibility than you might have been expecting right at the outset. It's all really important. It's all got to be done. Um, hopefully, there's been time factored in for it as well. Mm. Uh, but you do need to keep those people happy. Again, you need to show them that you know to give them confidence that you can deliver a quality training mm. um, experience for their users. That the oh, a... compliance and security want to review. And... Yeah. Absolutely, we have got these non-functional requirements we need to yeah. look at. There's only 140 of them.
0: Oh yeah, that sounds like <laughs> me a couple of weeks ago. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah so right. be be prepared for yeah. things to grow. I think don't don't try yeah. and fill your first few days back to back because there will be things that come up and it will be your level of expertise that's required. Or right, I mm. just walking through the corridor one day, talking to the project manager and someone came over and said, Oh, oh you're the you're the Brightgen guys, aren't you? That's great. Um can you just come and talk to our integration team for a while. They just want to understand some things. And literally <laughs> you knew nothing about what they wanted to talk about Not what right, we're integrating yeah. into. Um <laughs> but then you just kind of, you know, find yourself performing again. Yeah. So yeah, again, yeah. don't be afraid to say that you can't go into the real minute detail, but you need mm. to understand how integration works and be able to deal with them quickly so be good at context switching i guess isn't that is an, is another thing that's really mm. useful i
0: think mean, they always say that you know when you context switch you know traditionally you know, it takes 20 minutes to rejig your brain back to you know where you're coming from so that yeah you know, being able to kind of switch gears quickly and and is is yeah important.
1: it is i think and i think it's easier to context switch if you're not doing all the low level stuff yeah, um, that's where it gets difficult when you've got the whole house of cards built in your head, and it all falls down. And you have to reconstruct it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you're not doing that, if you're thinking at a higher level, it's easy to get back into the zone.
0: Mm. So, do you find it's different for different size companies or projects? You do. Do you have different approaches?
1: Um, not enormously, I wouldn't say. I think the the most the main difference I find with the larger enterprises just tends to be more people in, but probably tends to be more meetings because more people want to be involved more people mm. need to be involved there's more stakeholders if you're talking integrations you know you know mm. in a small organization you might only have two or three whereas somewhere else you might have 35 to do and you've got to talk to all those different teams So nah. you need to plan in enough time um and also the, the other thing you find is especially with the large enterprises i find large mature enterprises shall we say um you, you also discover systems as you go along, yeah. that nobody knew this was doing this. And oh, actually, that's over there. And no, everyone's Completely. left. So let's go and have a look at that and see if we can figure out what that does and whether we can replace it. that often often happens as well it's
0: always like the classic oh we're decommissioning this system and replacing it to Salesforce and then suddenly you find all the tendrils of you know what it's connected to you hear the distant screams (laughs) (laughs) oh Jeff's been exporting data from this for 10 years and importing it into some other system
1: (laughs) exactly and it's never gone wrong so he's never had to mention it to anyone exactly yeah
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) and it just stopped yeah
0: yeah oh fun games yeah I've, yeah there's a client i'm working with at the moment and they've got um or kind of advising them at the moment and they've got a hundred they've identified a hundred separate systems and well of which 10 of them are connected to each other everything else is like manual data loads and everything else and it's like well i think i always find that that's like if it, if it's a live integration or something like that it's 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 kind of almost easy because you can see it happening you can you can do it but these kind of manual processing it's like it's almost like it's a black box you know you know the data's mm. coming out and you know it's going over here but you don't know what's happening in between absolutely know. yeah but
1: yeah. yeah I think that's those those are the the only thing, additional things that I thought it was worth um bringing up yeah, yeah, yeah we've talked I think we've talked about just about everything else oh and no. I suppose the art of saying no is always oh, yeah. a useful thing that kind of <laughs> continues on from the difficult conversations um there's nothing wrong with saying no you don't have to agree agree with everyone about everything there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with saying well that's not a good idea um what you want to avoid is flat nose you want to really you want to check if you want to say no you want to change that into a yes but we can Mm -hmm. do that but here's all the downsides and hopefully they'll make the decision themselves that that's not a great idea um yeah, but don't be afraid to do it, because if you agree with people and you think, well, that's not a good idea, but kind of everyone seems really keen on it. So I'd better say yes, otherwise I won't be popular. Um, you'll be even less popular two years down the line when it all blows up in their face. Yeah, exactly. You say, oh, I knew that was going to happen, but I didn't really feel like mentioning it to anyone.
0: I think sometimes it's, yeah, it is that, you know, it's a bad idea. You've, you've kind of clearly described the reason why you think it's a bad idea and they may continue to do it anyway. But at least you're kind of, you know in yourself that you've given them all the information to show that, you know, this could go wrong. And there's, you know, we had experience in this happening before, blah, 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 blah. And then it's up to them. You know, sometimes there's other things in the organization that you don't know about that are taking precedence that they're not telling you about.
1: Absolutely. Um, The one thing you can guarantee is that you won't get to build this perfect solution that you've designed in your head mm. because that there are other things that need to happen there may be various constraints there may be people that aren't able to move as quick you'll always be compromising um, mm. and you have to make your peace with compromising um, if it is something where you've clearly advised and you, th- you you can foresee problems you don't think they're too far away um, i always like to send a clarification email as well just to make sure you know just to cover what we talked about yesterday not just that because that's a bit kind of told you so told you so mm. if you do this you're a fool um, but just kind of re, you know, clarifying a few points, pick a few points where maybe there was some um, additional explanation required and layer that into there so you've got it in writing um, mm. if something really blows up further down the line and the finger-pointing starts.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, well, brilliant. Thanks so much. My Loads pleasure. Loads of awesome advice. So um, the last question I always ask everybody, well, pretty much everybody, <laughs> is if you could go back in time and give your former self some words, words of wisdom, uh, what would that be? And at what point in time would that be as well?
1: Uh, so I'll give you a couple of examples. One's, one's quite an, uh, a venal example, which is I would go back to uh, around February 2020 and advise myself to put all my money into tech stocks, um, but be prepared to come out around November 21, get that, get that all sorted. I think there was, there was a lot of money to be made there looking back, which no one could have predicted. Um, I think what I would probably do is go back about seven or eight years to around 2013, 2014, 2015 time. And I think I'd advise myself to learn JavaScript properly. Mm. um rather than just knowing enough to be able to do what i needed Get to back, do actually yeah. actually understand how to um to write professional javascript code how to do javascript software mm. engineering um and i think that would have saved me some difficulties further along the line where mm. it was it was just a struggle just because i I didn't understand that that's the way you needed to do things differently in JavaScript, that was the way things had to work, and that you could take um, you know, the object-oriented approach that you come from with Java isn't always the best thing in a procedural language mm. uh, like JavaScript and also in a loosely typed language like JavaScript. So, yeah, yeah. so I, think, I think that would have that made uh, probably for better decisions, I think. Yeah, uh, okay, for, yeah. for, well, for, arriving at the correct decision quicker probably would have mm. been useful. And I think I'll, I think I would have really enjoyed if I'd known in detail exactly how JavaScript worked at that point in time. I would have really enjoyed seeing the progression of the language. As yeah, well.
0: exactly. Oh, yeah, because it's moved on. Yeah, in leaps yeah. and bounds. You know, but I kind of came to it once it was all done. Right, um, yeah. So you can't Which always in some appreciate. Ways might it. be better because you see well, it. Well, true. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is that. So you don't use var anymore, or <laughs> no, it's let now. What? <laughs> That's right. Why is it complaining about everything that was fine last year? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh cool well yeah thanks so much it's been a my brilliant episode um if people want to find you um how do they go about that um so i'm on linkedin as keir bowden i'm on
1: twitter as bob buzzard um where else am I? i'm on facebook as the real bob buzzard um <laughs> i would say for the professional side of it now linkedin is probably the best i think linkedin has overtaken yeah. twitter for me in terms of professional yeah, engagement too, so that's yeah. the best That's the best place to get hold of me. Although I would say Twitter is kind of just easier to have a casual interaction. Mm. LinkedIn is a
0: bit kind of direct message. Read this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Kia. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for watching or listening to the Salesforce Posse podcast. Now, please, 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 if you like or what you see or hear, then please rate this podcast in your podcast player, as it tells me that there are people out there that actually are listening to this and that it's useful to them. Also, it helps the podcast algorithms to kind of elevate the podcast in the different podcast directories, which will be really helpful for me as well. Finally, if you do have a question that you want to ask on the podcast, then head to salesforceposse.com slash message and maybe you'll appear in the next podcast. But apart from that, thanks for listening. And until next time, ta-ta.